we are continuing our series called Rhythms today. This is a series where we're talking about the rhythms of life as we're just kicking off a new year and getting back into the hopefully the flow and the routine uh, as much as possible, even if it's a different routine than it looked like pre-COVID or whatever, some kind of a rhythm. If you, if you, you wasn't here last week, I want to encourage you to catch up online, whether I'll be on our, our, our website, you can go to our Facebook page, the live our, our service from last week. Uh, YouTube, podcasts, all those different uh, platforms, Vimeo. Rhythms are the flow of your life, the routines and habits, the quantity of obligations and the events and the distance between them. That's that's what we mean when I say a rhythm of life. Last week, we talked about how all of us have way too much going on. I showed you three ways that too much creates madness. We looked at how progress doesn't produce peace, although we've made Great strides in humanity, it doesn't produce peace. People are still stressed and overwhelmed and, 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 and have anxiety or in debt or whatever. And secondly, overload will always overwhelm. I gave you a list of things, how we're overloaded and stats of the way we're overloaded and how people get overwhelmed for having too much on their plate on a daily basis, both physically in their schedules, emotionally from the news and the media and and social media, it's just overwhelming. And then how stress is sinister. And, you know, I, I threw out a lot of stats last week. And so sometimes, you know, you get these stats from online or maybe, uh, you know, we, we listen and read up other pastors and stuff like that. And they may get a stat from somebody else. And so uh, Dr. Paul Angelo in our church, and he's, he's our personal doctor. And I saw him in the lobby after the first service. And we were talking about that. And I said, you know, I said five out of six deaths can be traced back to stress. And I asked Dr. Landry, I said, man, that sound right? Because he said, man, you way off. I wouldn't have used it in the second service, you know. But he looked at me and said, I can believe that. He said, I can believe that. As a, as a medical physician, he said, yeah, absolutely. He said, I've seen people get off of blood pressure medicine once they retire. He says, so I can absolutely believe that. So we just see how stress is sinister. Stress affects our lives mentally, emotionally, physically, and could even interfere with your spiritual life. So today we're going to start off with one of the scriptures we read last week, and I ended preparing you that we would be talking about this. It's in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. We read it in a couple of different translations last week. I'm going to read it in one of the more common uh, translations, and this is the Lord Jesus himself speaking. It says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Come on, just rest on that word right there. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus wants to give us rest. You see that? Jesus don't want to live us to live overloaded and overwhelmed. He said, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle in heart. The heart and his motives is the secret of all rest. Because the heart deals with, it also be known as, as like part of our emotions, our soul is which he goes into. Verse 29, you will find rest for your soul. See, rest was, as Jesus is talking about rest, he's not just talking about, I'm going to give you rest. You're going to take a good nap after church this afternoon, which that don't sound like a bad idea, somebody. Come on, right? Pastor Ty used to say, sometimes a nap's the most spiritual thing you can do. Come on. Somebody need to receive that word this morning right there. But it's not just physical, though. Right? He says, I'll give you rest for your souls. That's your mind, your will, emotions. It's spiritual. It's emotional and mental. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is life. Jesus used this illustration because back then they often, they would yoke up two oxen as they were plowing the fields. Many scholars believe almost every, or say almost every, that it's very possible that 
a lot of the tra- uh, illustrations are, uh, are most of them. When Jesus would give him, he might have actually been pointing to some oxen there plowing the field that were yoked up. And he said, hey, yoke up with me because my burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You see, rest is when you let Jesus pull the yoke. When you let him pull the plow of your life, so to speak. If your yoke becomes hard and heavy, you're not walking alongside of Jesus. You're either walking ahead or maybe behind or not walking with him at all. That's why he says to yoke up with me. You know, I heard about a pastor that was a part of a a major denomination that didn't really focus on the Holy Spirit much. And this pastor got filled with the Holy Spirit. He was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he went back to his 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 fellow brothers in in a meeting of a lot of pastors of that denomination. And he began to explain to them how he got filled with the Holy Spirit. And as they're asking him all kind of theological questions and asking him things, they kept asking him, well, what's the main difference now that you have the Holy Spirit than before. And he had a blackboard behind him and he, he erased it clean and he began to write R-E-S-T. And he put the chalk down. And he said, brothers, I used to work for God, now I work with God. Amen? That's what Jesus means when he says to yoke up. And the Bible tells us that as well, that we are co-laborers with Christ. I mean, we all said, man, I'm doing this for God. I'm doing this. This is the way I serve the Lord. And I'm guilty of it too. First service, I said, Lord, help me to do this. Help me to help. And then I'm like, Lord, help me to do this with you, right? You're already going to do it. I want to yoke up with you. Amen. See, in scripture, a life that is balanced is in a state of rest. You see, just like when you're hanging up a picture, you can't see if it's unbalanced if you're up close to it, right? A lot of times it looks fine until what you have to do, you have to step away from the the picture and you realize it's crooked as all get out, right? You're like, man, I thought I eyeballed that good. So what do you have to do? You got to go back and you got to put a level on it to see if it's out of balance to balance it out. And guess what? It's true for picture hanging and for our lives, the level don't lie. The level never lies. That bubble in the middle there, it doesn't lie. See, your life is a fine balance. When the bubble gets off in your routine and your emotions and your spiritual life or your thoughts, you cannot rest until it gets corrected. Some of us are out of balance. Some of us need that bubble to get back in the middle. See, rest comes from alignment. Even with the tires on our car, right? When they put the tires on your car, what do they do? They balance them and they align them, right? I just got new tires a few months ago. And I remember this guy telling me, man, make sure that they balance them because, you know, you can get these brand new tires, but if they're not balanced or aligned, they're going to wear out quick. Isn't that right? Our lives are the same way. If we're out of balance or we're not aligned with the Lord first and foremost and with these other things I'm about to teach you, then we're not going to have rest in our lives. So this morning, I want to give you the recipe for rest. I want to give you the recipe for rest. And I'm going to do it by using rest as an acronym. Number one, create and maintain your routine. There's the R right there in rest. Create and maintain your routine. See, some of this stuff is going to be very practical. Some of it is going to be spiritual, but it's all intertwined. Luke 4.16, look at even Jesus. Jesus traveled to Nazareth where he had grown up. On the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as he always did and stood up to read. You see that? Jesus had a routine and specifically here had a routine of going to church, right? Come on. The synagogue was church back then. He already had the routine as a boy. His parents took him to church and as he had that as a routine. And as he got older and began his ministry, he was already used to going to church. Now he picked up and he started reading from the scriptures, right? So we see that. See, routine is something that you could repeat thousands of times. It's sustainable. 
When you, when, when you flow in your routine, you feel normal, healthy, and confident. See, every time you're in a routine, it builds your confidence and resets your daily balance. You know, as much as those of us that have children, you know, uh, they, they may seem like they don't like it. All the experts say children need routine and actually like routine. They might buck going to bed early, but you know what? You know if you're a parent or grandparent, if your child gets out of routine, things kind of get a little crazy around the house, right? Right? And so even children, why? Because we're designed. I believe it shows that's how God designed us. We're designed to have routines in our life. Here are a few practices to balance your daily life. Your morning routine. Set your day to be consistent with a consistent, sustainable schedule to start your day every day. Like, it's good. How many of y'all like to drink coffee in here, somebody? Come on. I think they're going to have coffee at the marriage supper of the lamb. It might be after we eat supper. I don't know, but I think we're going to have it, right? Come on. That bears witness with your spirit. Come on, sister. Right? So, like, maybe if you start your coffee, and I encourage you, this is a great time. Start off with coffee and your Bible reading. And prayer. And you may like to exercise in the morning. And that's your routine. You get up. I have a brother that I used to work out with. That brother is faithful. He has his time with the Lord at home. And that brother faithfully is at the gym pretty much Monday through Friday. He's done that for years. That's his routine. Time with the Lord. Then he works out. Then he goes, uh, uh, you know, to work. And maybe eating a good breakfast, whatever it is. I mean, I encourage you, especially right now, to start. If you're not in a regular routine of spending time with the Lord in the morning, Great time to start during prayer and fasting in January. Again, this is one of my routines that I, I could count on one hand that I miss every every uh, year. And it's reading my Bible and praying. No matter where I'm at or how early I got to get up, I set time before. And when I get up in the morning, first thing I do is go to that coffee pot. Second thing I do is grab my Bible. And I don't know, I can't find it in the Bible. Like Pastor Lass says, it ain't the Bible, but it ought to be. But I think that drinking coffee, reading the Bible helps you get a little bit more revelation. I don't know what it is, but right, you know, so not really, but I think it's because you're waking up. But it's just whatever your routine is, right? But that's a great one. It's a spiritual routine, prayer, Bible reading, but it may be exercise for some of you. You may work later. You just, you're out of gas at the end of the day. It's good to get back in the habit of exercising. Whatever it is, eat a good breakfast, go for a walk. You know, you may have where you and your spouse like to have time together, maybe Bible reading prayer, whatever it is, get a morning routine. Don't just wake up and just like, what am I going to do today? You know, the greatest leaders of our time carefully plan their morning routine for success. Isn't that right? Successful businessmen, pastors, whoever, have a routine. And look, even the master himself. Specifically, Jesus had a prayer routine. Look at Luke 5, 16. But Jesus would often go to some place where he could be alone and pray. You see that? He, he had a routine of going to the synagogue, and he had a routine of praying. Like I said, prayer and fasting is a great time to start that work routine. I want to encourage you. Try to keep your work schedule under 50 hours a week if you can. You remember last week I talked about we're overworked. 40 hours is no more the norm. So that's what I said. If you can try to do that. I was with a brother just yesterday and he's retired. I said, man, you, how long have you been retired? He's like, well, this long. And I said, I thought you said you've been working. He said, yeah, well, they needed help. And he said, I go back and do, he said, before I retired, I was working sometimes over a hundred hours a week. That's insanity. That's crazy to work that much. Try to keep your work routine if you can under 50 hours a week. Then a family routine. Those of you that are married, that have children, try to keep a family night once a week if you can. A date night once a week, if not at least every other week. If you have multiple children, try to have a goal where you spend time individually with them every day. Listen, I hear you. I'm preaching to myself. This is hard. This takes work. I don't have it down pat. It's a routine that I need to get into as well, right? And then, of course, a meal routine. 
This is part of your daily routine. You know, whenever we were transitioning, I was sitting on Brother Francis's porch, our founding pastor, and I was asking him how he balanced, you know, ministry and family. And he said, Brandon, one of the things that I always did is I tried to have one meal a day with my whole family around the table. He said, my schedule was different. So that may be breakfast one day, maybe a lunch another, and maybe supper. But do your best to have a meal with the family around the table once a day. It's a great meal routine to, to have with your family. And then even eating meals as well. A lot of you, you know, this is the time where gym memberships go up and a lot of people looking to get back in shape, myself included, and trying to get healthy. So even the way we eat, you know, experts say it's better to eat a smaller uh, I mean, I'm sorry, a big breakfast, a smaller lunch, and then an even smaller supper. Down here in South Louisiana, we have it totally backwards, right? A lot of us don't eat breakfast. You grab a little quick sandwich on the road or something at lunch, and then you get home and you eat rice and gravy and roast and three sides and two rolls and, you know, and some pie or something after, right? We have it backwards, but it's really that's the way they say you should eat. You know, some of you maybe have heard me say this, but uh, I heard of a guy that him and his wife, they had started, they found this about the South, and this is a true story. They found this out where they started eating this way, and they were older, and they wanted just just uh, to stay healthy. And so um, he saw this guy that needed to get in shape and was having some health issues. And he said, man, you might want to try this. My wife and I, we, we found out this routine, and we eat like a king in the morning, a prince at lunch, and then a pauper at night. And he said, man, that's good. He said, I'm going to try that. So they went about, uh, you know, th- their way. And a couple months later, he sees this brother and he says, hey, man, how's things going? Uh, how's it working out? He said, man, it's going great. I eat like a king in the morning, a prince for lunch and a pauper at night. He said, man, that's great. He said, yeah, it is. He said, but man, I just have one problem. He said, what's that? He said, about 10 o'clock every night, I hear this little voice saying, long live the king. Come on. <laughs> Come on, somebody. How many of y'all feel that way? I hear that voice a lot too, right? Oh, man, that's... Come on now. I'm going to talk about taking your thoughts captive in a little while, okay? So that may be one of them right there, right? But it's true. I mean, we need to change. It may be your eating routine. The way you eat, what you eat needs to change. And then, of course, our sleep routine. Most of America does not get enough sleep. And I talked about it last week because most of us are overloaded, overwhelmed, working late and getting up. And so try to get a better sleep routine. They said, try to go to bed if you can, maybe nine at 10 at, at, at night and get up at either five or six. Still shoot for eight hours a day. That's still a good number to shoot for uh, uh, every night if you can to be able to. So anyway, so create these. I'm giving you ways to create spiritual routines and then also natural routines in your life with eating and family and sleeping as well. So some of you say, man, I don't have a routine. I get up and just kind of, you know, every day is different. So well, create one and try to stick to it. That may be something you want to pray and fast about. Or if you have one, say, yeah, I got a routine, man. It's been a little off lately with the holidays and 2020, you know, everything's kind of crazy. Well, hey, get back on that routine and try to maintain it. Routine produces rest. Routine produces rest. Number two, manage your emotions. We need to manage our emotions. Luke 10, 41 and 42. This is Jesus. The context of this is Martha is fixing a meal. A lot of y'all familiar with that. Some of you may not be. And there's two sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha's fixing a meal for the Lord Jesus. Jesus himself is at their house. And, and Mary is uh, sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha begins to complain and begin to tell Jesus, hey, tell my sister, get up and come help me over here in the kitchen. I'm overwhelmed and overloaded over here, all right? And Jesus says this, Martha, Martha, listen, listen to this. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And what he was saying was, no, Mary's sitting at my feet. In other words, Mary's sitting in my presence 
and you're getting all bent out of shape about this meal that you're cooking, you can say this, Martha was restless. Martha was restless. She was all over the place in her emotions. And Mary was sitting there resting in the Lord's presence, just listening to his word. He was teaching her. Her emotions got out of balance over cooking a meal. She became anxious, then annoyed, then angry. Some of us get like that whenever our wives are cooking too because we're hungry, right? But seriously, she was anxious, annoyed, then gets angry. Martha, if Martha were alive today, these would be the things that she would be upset with probably and, and things that we get emotionally out of whack about. Our phones. You can't find your phone. Come on, how many of y'all got a little emotional because you can't find your phone? I got a family member, it's the funnest thing, we was on a trip and, and this brother was going frantic trying to find his phone, he was looking all over, and I'm, I'm leaving one part out because he was doing like this. And I walked in, he's like, get my phone. And I'm like, get on it. Man, his face got red and he just walked out of the room, you know. He was, how many of y'all did that? Okay, be honest, how many of y'all has ever done that? You're on the phone looking for your phone, okay. Or, you know, that we've done it, right? He's got all, he got all up in arms. But maybe it's autocorrect. I want to warn you today, church, Mona, you have... Be sure you read your text before you hit send, because autocorrect will mess you up. And once that thing is sent, it is sent, right? So you got to be careful. Autocorrect will try to mess you up. And so uh, notifications, and again, things like texting instead of talking. Some of you, and I, I text, but there's some times where I'm like, hey, man, I'm not going to have a big text about this. Call me, right? Let's, let's talk. And notifications. But here's another word for you. You can turn your notifications off. You don't have to, if those notifications are overwhelming you, you can turn them off. You don't have to have every notification on every app that you have buzzing your phone all day long, okay? So if you're getting your emotions everywhere because of your phone, turn them things off, all right? Schedules. Too much of our schedule is full with no margins. We don't have any margin in our life. That's why we're overwhelmed or overloaded, right? Money. Some of you have too much money and not enough month, to, uh, too much month and not enough money to go with it, right? So sometimes money will get us. And then, of course, the news, constant political upheaval and news blast, right? And again, that's why when all that stuff started happening on Wednesday, one of the staff members told me, I called and, and was calling her about something. And she said, well, I'm just, you know, seeing this or whatever. And I said, what? What are you talking about? She's like, you don't know what's going on? I'm like, no, I don't because I, I don't have notifications. Or when something happens, Fox News, and you know, is not alerting me, letting me know that, you know, the, the, the nation's capital was, was breached, basically, right? So those are the kind of things that'll, then that'll derail your whole day right there, right? Cause what happens? You can get on your phone and it was, and I did once after I was done and I hung up, my wife was in my office. I was like, man, look at what's going on here. What, you know, you, again, you can Google anything, right? So I went to see the pictures and some videos and stuff. I was like, man, I, I can't get sidetracked. I need to get back to work, right? We can't let those things throw us. I'm sure every person in here, when you saw that broke on Wednesday, had some type of emotion. In some way or another, we never saw anything like in our country before, right? Some kind of emotion. So these are the things we got to be careful and manage our emotions. So how do we, I'm like, the way that you handle a, a, a practical thing in sense is very spiritual because you need to keep an eternal perspective. The way you manage your emotions is not with um, antidepressants. Let me say that. I'm not against prescriptions. If you, you know, your doctors, I, I think medication would be good, good to stabilize you, but that's not the answer. If your emotions all over the place, it's not just taking more pills, okay? The way we handle it as believers is by keeping an eternal perspective. Put everything up against eternity and watch it become insignificant. You know, I said this earlier, you know what? They can break into every federal building in this country because you know what? Where we're heading, they ain't going to have any buildings that are going to contain us, right? 
And so, yes, this is crazy. This is crazy stuff. But if you keep eternity as a perspective, these things become insignificant. Forgot to say this at the first service, but I had to preach just to myself many times as a, as a football fan when my team would lose a big game or a game they should have won. And I got all up in my emotions, right? All over the place. And my wife's looking at me like, you need to get saved pretty much, you know, because I'm all over the place. I would have to begin to tell myself, Brandon, first of all, this has nothing to do with real life. I'm going to get up tomorrow and still go to work. Bills are going to come in. The outcome of this game is not going to change my life. And this has nothing to do with eternity. You know how many times I've told myself this after getting all worked up over a football game? Brandon, this is just a game. This has nothing to do with eternity. So we got to keep an eternal perspective. That's why Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. And let me say, heaven is a reality. And the Lord gave me this why I was speaking at the first service. Most of the stuff we read online is not. We're talking about emotions. We get so worked up in our emotions that I bet a half of what we read online is not even true. But heaven is. So how do you manage your emotions? Focus on the reality of heaven instead of the lies and the gospel online. Amen? Come on, I'm preaching better than y'all saying amen right there. The, the rest of that scripture says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Now, when it says, don't think about the things on earth, Paul's not saying like, you know, when you're driving, you can't say, oh, I want to look up into heaven and see, you know, like, like, no, you got to, right? You're going to rear in somebody and hurt yourself or somebody else. He's not saying don't think of it. That What he means is don't dwell on it. Don't focus on the things. And it's, it, it, listen, I know this is harder said than done because in our world with news blasts and media, it's getting harder and harder. The world's getting crazy. So it gets harder to focus on it. But at the same time, it should make you want to focus on heaven and the reality of eternity more, right? And remember, I warned y'all at the beginning of the year. I said, hey, don't worry about just a calendar they were flipping. What happened last year, I mean, last week shows us it's not about a calendar year. It's just the world we're living in. Things like this are going to continue to happen, no matter if it's 21, 22, or however many years left the Lord gives us. So focus on the realities of heaven and really of eternity. See, some translations say, set your heart on the realities of heaven. And this goes more specifically, the word heart encompasses your emotions. When you have an eternal perspective, it helps keep your emotions balanced. Some of you may need to write that down. When you keep an eternal perspective, it helps keep your emotions. Not that we're not going to go through trauma or hard times or things that we deal with, but a lot of the things we work ourselves up with emotionally, when you put it into the light of eternity, it's really insignificant. So what if your battery on your phone dies? Charge it up. You, we lived many years with no cell phones, right? Okay, so I'm going to just say this, and my wife, I might get in trouble for this on my anniversary. But like, because I'm human like you. So we had three chargers in our room. One on her side of the bed, one on my side of the bed, and a spare one. I left for a day, I came back, and I walked in, and there was no chargers in the room. I'm like, babe, where's the chargers at? Like, and so, you know, but I mean, I think I did good. I don't think I got too worked up. I was good, right? Okay, so I'm good. Yeah, yeah. praise the Lord. Have a good anniversary after this, right? No, but seriously, like, but I have gotten worked up about my phone dying or, right, or just internet not being fast enough. And if you stop and think, like, man, I live most of my life without a cell phone or probably, I say most, probably about half of my life now without a cell phone, right? But those things are insignificant. Listen, I heard a pastor say, hang loose, keep it simple, travel light, 
stay as relaxed as a wet mop on a log. Come on, somebody. That's relaxed right there. Think about a wet mop on a log. You can't get more relaxed than that. But come on, let's not take ourselves so seriously. And a lot of things that we get worked up so seriously, we get worked up about. A lot of things we get worked up about focus on the realities of heaven. That's the spiritual. And the second one, just real quick, create margin in your life. If your emotions are all over the place, going back to last week and you, you overload or overwhelm, space out your days better. Don't schedule every minute of every day. Build some margin in your schedule at work or in, even outside of work on, or even on your days off or even with fun stuff or people wanting to hang out. Hey man, you want to come over this evening? Nah, man, I need to just take it easy and rest tonight. I've had a busy week. I need some downtime. I'm going to just rest. All right, you know, wake up 15 minutes earlier. That might be part of your new routine is, hey, you always rush to work. You're always late or you're always getting there right on time. Get up 15 minutes. It'll help you emotionally. You're not going to be anxiety when you hit that traffic on Ambassador Caffrey. You're like, man, I'm going to be late again. You get up earlier, you'll be there. Wake up 15 minutes earlier. You don't have to rush to rest. And then let me just say this. Somebody needs to hear this for 2021. It's okay to say no sometimes. It's okay to say no. I want you to serve. I want you to help people. I want you to do those things. But if you're overwhelmed, overloaded, if you're trying to manage your emotions and they're all over, sometimes you can just say, brother, sister, I'm sorry. I can't right now. I'm going back. Even if it's to go have fun, not even for help, I'm going to just have to say no. The Lord convicted me years ago. I was still the youth pastor here. I remember as things were getting ramped up, I was trying to figure out and balance out ministry in a new work environment. I went from construction to working at church in an office and ministry and schedules and meetings and events in the evenings and weekends. I was trying to, and I started committing to all kinds of things. And then I would back out on them. I couldn't fulfill them. Or I would come to the person last minute and say, hey man, I'm sorry. I said I was going to do this, but I won't be able to do that this week. And it would leave them in a bind. And the Lord convicted me, spoke to me, said, you need to learn how to be a man of your word. And he told me that. He said, it's better to say no at the beginning than have to back out of your word later on down the line, right? So it not only is going to help you manage your emotions, but it'll help others where you, you know, we, we want to, you know, the Bible says, say, like, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Amen. So build margin in your life. Focus on the realities of heaven and build some margin in your life. And of course, if you still have an emotional thing, say, look, we got counseling here. Counseling's great if you need that. But those are the ways I'm telling you, when you put everything that you're getting emotional, most of it. And again, if you're going through grief and stuff, that's different. But I'm talking about most of the stuff we get crazy about from the media to the news to different things. When we focus on the realities of heaven, a lot of that stuff begins to go away. Amen. Number three. So that was the, that was the E. So number one was, um, to build, I'm trying to think, what was number one? <laughs> Create and maintain your routine. Number two is manage your emotions. That's the E. And then number three, the S is be consistent with the Sabbath. Be consistent with the Sabbath. Now we have a hard time with this. Or the Sabbath. A Sabbath is a, a, a weekly day of rest where we don't do any work. And as we'll see, you spend time with the Lord. That's where a lot of people with Sunday is. Look at Exodus 35 too. Where do we see that? You have six days each week. This is the Lord speaking for your ordinary work. But on the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest. A holy day dedicated to the Lord. Some people say, well, brother, that's Old Testament. Or, I don't need a Sabbath. I can work seven days a week. Well, listen what Jesus says to rebuttal both of those. Mark 2, 27, the Lord Jesus himself. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. The Sabbath shouldn't be kept as something religious. Jesus said, we need to take a day off. Kind of like we were designed for routine. 
Our bodies were designed to rest, to have a day off. And Jesus, you know, he, he makes this clear. And, and people say, well, man, I got to work an extra day. I got a lot of times I have to. And because, man, I just got so much to do, I can be more productive. You know, because some people take off of work, but they're still answering emails. Again, especially in the digital age, we can still answer emails and make phone calls and still handle work, and it's not a day off. I heard one man said, a day off for me is when I'm not looking at a screen. For a lot of us, that, that's probably a good, a good um, uh, standard right there. A day off for me is when I'm not looking at a screen. Because he knows if he's on his phone, he's going to check emails, he's going to get a text or something. In the book of Leviticus, God told Israel to not farm their crops on the seventh year. He said he would bless the sixth year and it would last until the ninth year. And so it shows us that God will help you produce more in one week if you give him the first day of the week, right? It's the principle of the first. Same with our tithe. When we bring, which we can't give the tithe, your tithe is your first 10% of your income. It says to bring your tithe to the storehouse. It doesn't say give because it's not ours to give. But when we bring the tithe of our finances, when we, when we, we're even, we feel like we're tithing the first part of our year by praying and fasting. And even this, you give the first Sunday is actually the first day of the week. When you give this day to the Lord, you come to church with your family and you just rest the rest of the day. The Lord will bless the rest of you. You'll be more productive. I've said it many times. Chick-fil-A is a great example of this. Started by a man of God, still run by a man of God, his son, and they're closed on Sundays. And they even tell their employees that they're closed on Sunday. They have a day of rest and so they can go to church. And Chick-fil-A does more business in six days than all other fast food restaurants do in seven. That's a testimony of the first, right? Of the Sabbath that both the the, the owner and the, the employee. So, you know, in America, we have two days off, and that's actually the best if you can take two days off. Why? Because one day is going to be like your personal day. In other words, one day of that week, a lot of times you're running errands, you're doing yard work, you're maybe doing some little projects, but you're still working, right? So a lot of times Saturday, people take that day off, you know, in a typical week, and then that's why Sunday is so important to have that weekly Sabbath. If Sunday's your Sabbath, you may still work on Sundays, and so, but you need one day a week where you can meet with the Lord, rest, and gather with your family for fellowship. A lot of times it's for us. And so I know this is hard for a lot of people to hear. You know, matter of fact, one pastor said this. I was just reminded of this. One pastor's name is Pastor Robin Morris. A lot of y'all know Pastor Robin. He actually, he actually um, wrote a whole book on the Sabbath, and we were at a conference, and he was preaching. And he said this. He said, the Sabbath is the only commandment that Christians are willing to break. He said the Sabbath is the only commandment that Christians are willing to break. And even went this far. He was sitting, he was standing around the water cooler or something in their office at their church. And one of the other pastors came up to him and said, hey, pastor, uh, I know tomorrow is your day off, but I was just wondering if you can A, B, and C. And he said this to make a point. He said, why don't you just ask me to go commit adultery? And he was like, what? And he said, well, you know, it, it, we should keep the Sabbath holy. And it's the same thing as committing adultery in the Lord's eyes if this is one of his commands. It repeatedly says that. But he said that's the one thing, the one commandment Christians are willing to break is to take the day off. But it's so important. Look, just to drive this home, Isaiah 58, 13 says, keep the Sabbath day holy. That word holy means to set apart. Don't, don't guard it. Make sure that you keep the Sabbath holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day. I love this. But enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. We shouldn't speak of taking a day off begrudgingly, like, oh man, Brandon, I said I'm going to have to start taking, you know, no, we should, the Lord's given us the Sabbath to enjoy it, church, amen? So I want to encourage you, if Sunday is your day off, I want to encourage you not to go home and do projects on Sunday afternoon, right? 
Go be with your family. Maybe go grab lunch and go home and, again, going back to take a nap. This ain't all about physical, but man, I'm telling you, naps are of the Lord, right? Go home and take a nap and just rest the rest of the day. And if you can, take vacations, at least a couple every year. And if you can, get one or two in where it's a, it's a week of rest. Not driving cross country as far as you can. Remember last week I said 54% of people admit that they're more tired after vacation than before. Why is that? Because they're not resting on vacation, right? So, hey, you may have a couple weeks of vacation, two or three. If you do, great. If you can, one could be maybe a fun trip where you're traveling on, but the other one, go somewhere where you travel maybe one day and you can lay out if your thing's the beach or the mountains or the lake or somewhere where you can just go and rest. Does this sound good, y'all? Amen. So let's be consistent with the Sabbath. And the fourth and final thing, the T is conquer your thoughts. Conquer your thoughts. This is what I was referring to when that little voice says, long live the king, right here. Isaiah 26.3 says this, you will keep in perfect peace, speaking of the Lord, all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. You see that? See, our minds are under attack. Satan is bombarding your mind day and night. He wants to drop a seed of unrest in you, into your mind, until he can water it and it grows into a full-grown tree. An oak tree does not start out as an oak tree from day one. It starts as a seed. And so if the enemy can plant seeds in your mind and you don't take those thoughts captive, you don't come against and, 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 and discipline your thinking, they'll grow full-on you know, redwood trees of unrest in your life. One of the ways to combat these attacks is by fixing your thoughts, again, as he says, on the Lord and his word. Thinking about just like we focus is the same verbiage as focusing on the realities of heaven. It's the same thing, fixing your thoughts on the Lord and his word. That phrase, perfect peace, the original language actually means harmony, quietness, and confidence. I love this. Harmony, confidence, and quietness. See, you get in harmony with the Lord and his thoughts. You have, conf- you have quietness in your mind and in your spirit. And then you become confident in who the Lord is, which leads to the other part of that verse. When you're confident in the Lord, you begin to trust in the Lord. So if you're not confident in who the Lord is or what he can do, you're going to have a hard time trusting him, right? And then it's just a cycle of unrest. So when you fix your thoughts on who the Lord is, and again, his word is the best way to do that, you see who the Lord is, what he's done, and who he is to you, you can begin to trust him. Again, that word picture here that the, 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 the writer of, of Isaiah, Isaiah himself was, was writing here in the, in, in the original language, it's a picture of a baby lying back in the arms of his mother. Total rest. Knowing his mother got him, won't drop him. She will protect him. She will provide for him and meet his every need as he's a little baby and can't do for himself. That's the picture that he was writing there about trusting in the Lord. The last thing you need to do to conquer your thoughts, of course, is to take the ones that cause unrest captive. Second Corinthians 10, 5 says, we take every thought captive so that it is obedient to Christ. One of the ways you do that is by rebuking it out loud, telling the devil that he's a liar. Amen. When you hit a, a, a thought in your mind that you know is not of the Lord and is contrary to the word of God, come on, you need to rebuke literally out loud. I rebuke you, devil, in Jesus name. I don't believe that in Jesus. And that is not, does not line up with the word of the Lord. Again, there's a scripture in the Bible says that you will live and not die. So when you get that little thought, cause you know, some, they found something in your body, you need to say, devil, you're a liar. I will live and not die in Jesus name. Amen. You need to rebuke it. And that's one of the ways you take it captive. And then you do away with it. Listen, don't believe everything that you think. 
Don't believe everything that you think because not all your thoughts are yours. The enemy will plant seeds and try to bombard you. And not to mention, again, the 300,000 media outlets we have trying to feed us misinformation or just information that may be true, but we don't need to be hearing it at 8 o'clock on a Tuesday morning because it really doesn't affect our life anyway. So we need to take those thoughts that, that fester fear and worry and anxiety and unrest and we need to rebuke him. Rebuke the devil out loud. Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus over my mind. Quote the scriptures. I have the mind of Christ. That's how you, that's how you take your thought captives. And then again, in prayer, you can even say it out loud. Ephesians talks about putting on the helmet of salvation. In Ephesians chapter 6, you'll see where it's the full armor of God. And I encourage you, if you're not familiar with that, go read Ephesians 6 and see what the full armor of God is. The helmet of salvation, blessed prayer of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the belt of righteousness, the shoes of peace. You know, go read that. And you can even literally say that and pray that as part of your morning prayer. I love what it says in this translation, Ephesians 6, 17. Embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies. I love that translation. You put on the helmet of salvation to protect your thoughts from lies. When you know I'm saved, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, God loves me, I know who God is, I'm confident in Him, I will trust in Him. It protects your mind, and then when you get those thoughts, you rebuke the enemy out loud and tell him, get behind me, Satan, in Jesus' name. Amen? So as we close, just to recap, to have rest in your life, create and maintain your routine, Manage your emotions by focusing on the realities of heaven. Focus on eternity. Create margin in your life. Be consistent with taking a weekly Sabbath and enjoy the Sabbath. As Jesus said we need it. It's made to meet the needs of us, that we need to rest. Conquer every thought that causes unrest. Last scripture I'm going to read as we close is back at Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, I will give you rest. You can do all four of these things and still not have rest. It's because the ultimate rest is when you know that your sins have been forgiven. You can do things to have rest on this earth, but death is not the end of life. We know that there is a life after death. And when we said focus on the realities of heaven, we really need to focus on eternity because heaven's only one side of eternity. Hell's the other side. And I know... We don't maybe talk about this as much in church, but we need to. Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. And you know what? The Bible says that we've all sinned and fall short of God's glorious standards, and the wages of sin is death. And that word death means an eternal death, an eternal separation from God. Because the next verse says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus or through Christ Jesus. You see, you will find rest here on earth when you know you have a place in heaven. Amen? Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? You know, and again, as I just prayed for these families, and we're going to have a, a, a service here for Miss Sylvia Tronhall Saturday at 2 o'clock. Three families right here in that church just recently passed away, had loved ones passed away. It just reminds us all different ages, different different uh, circumstances. Sylvia and Glenn went to the hospital. They went home, were doing better. They went back and then they, they, they slipped away. A week and a half apart. It just reminds us, church, eternity is certain and we don't know when we're going to slip into it. We don't know when that day comes. If you're young and if you're a young person, don't think I got plenty of time. Young people die all the time. 20-something year old young man that passed away recently. Are you prepared for eternity? Do you have a rest here on earth 
because you have a place in heaven. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Brandon, I don't know. I, I feel like I got those other things going on, but this is the biggest thing that gives me unrest in my life is what is going to happen to me after I, I breathe my last on this earth. And I want to be sure I'm going to spend eternity in the reality of heaven. If that's you, say, Brandon, I don't know if I'm right with God or prepared for heaven, but I want to be, if that's you, just slip up your hand and I want to pray with you right now. I want to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Say, Brandon, I need to get my life right. I see your hand, man, right here. Anybody else? Over here, sir. Anybody else? In the back over here, a young lady, children raising their hand. Anybody else? We're going to take a minute. This is the most important part of the service. Thank you all for being bold. Come on, let's, we're going to pray together. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, life, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So just confess a simple prayer by faith something like this and I'm going to lead you we're all going to pray together as a family Lord Jesus thank you for loving me and thank you for dying in my place Lord I know that I've sinned and I repent of my sin and I ask that you forgive me I turn to you today and I make you my Lord and Savior now Lord give me that grace and the strength to live for you and to walk and rest help me Lord that I can have rest from my mind, my will, my emotions, and my life. I surrender to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's celebrate with these that made that decision today. Congratulations. God bless y'all. Hey, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, there's a card in the pew in front of you. It says, I made a decision. Fill that card out and bring it to the info center. For the rest of you, why don't you stand up? And come on, let's just pray. I end last service. The first part of rest is by casting your cares on the Lord. It says, cast every care on Him. And that word cast means to violently, like you'd, you'd be throwing off a blanket or a jacket or something that was weighing you down onto the Lord. That's the first part. But these are four practical ways right now that we can do this. One more thing. Just close your eyes one more time. We're about to dismiss. If you say, Brandon, you know what? I feel like I have unrest in my life. And I, I need to have rest in my, in, in my mind, in my heart, not physical, but every area. Just lift your hands and I want to pray for you before you leave. There's hands going up all over right now. People that are not living a restful state of life. And Jesus said, come to him today. Come on, come, come to the Lord today. He will give you rest for your souls. Come on, these are some of the ways. Cast every care on him right now. Whatever's burdening you down, keeping you from a restful state in your spirit, your mind, your heart, even physically where you can't sleep at night. Come on, just give it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I give you this right now. If it's an issue, if it's a, a person, a relationship, come on, just give it to the Lord right now in Jesus' name. And now, come on, I want to encourage you. Lord, help them, Father, to cast these cares on you to start routines, Lord, to get in a spiritual and a regular routine, Lord God, to take every thought captive. Help us to manage our emotions, Lord God, to not be emotionally all over the place, but to focus on the realities of heaven. Help us to, Lord God, be consistent with a weekly Sabbath so we can take a rest for our bodies, commune with you and our families. I pray, Lord God, that we can tap into this rest and this peace that you promised us. Lord, we thank you. I thank you for everyone here today. Bless them as they go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, God bless y'all. Hey, we, I encourage you to join us for prayer tomorrow night, 630 right here. We'll have worship and prayer. If you need any specific prayer for anything, we'll be up here. God bless you.